Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for the darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Allison. Grace to you and peace this morning. Last Saturday night, Ryan and I were driving back from a wedding reception. His friend family and friends through us in New York. We were in the mountains of Pennsylvania on winding, hilly roads lit by no streetlights. And this huge storm blew in with angry raindrops and gusts of wind that shook the car. And I started to feel very vulnerable and frail and small. We slowed down, but we knew that one wrong move, one careless semi, one deer jumping out from the trees could send us straight over the guardrails to our deaths. 
a light appeared in the distance, and it gave some comfort to know that we were not alone out there. That is, until we got closer. It was a billboard. If you die tonight, it began. <laughs> Where would you go? And I have to tell you, even in that moment where death loomed around our little Prius hatchback, the most real answer I could give was, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I have a lot of faith. And I don't know. Let me pause here and say that my answer is a lot less dreadful than it seems. My not knowing, you see, it's rooted in this deep and serious faith in the God proclaimed through the stories and songs and meditations of our scriptures. But here's the funny thing about that. For all the time some of us spend thinking about what happens to us after we die, there's remarkably little the Bible has to say about the subject. Not that there's anything wrong with us thinking about and imagining the afterlife. It's natural for us to want to know things and to seek after knowledge. Curiosity is a good gift that God created us with. Nevertheless, Anytime we talk about the afterlife in church, I think we've got to start by saying that most of the text of our very lengthy scriptures concerns itself with the life that we are living right now, and how to do that wisely and faithfully, forming communities of welcome and forgiveness, and how God is there accompanying us, reaching out to us in love, showering us with mercy, and delivering us from evil. Life after death doesn't crack the top 10 list of the Bible. And to complicate things further, when scripture does speak about this subject, it doesn't exactly give us a uniform depiction. Some passages say it's all a mystery and that our imaginations fail at comprehending the joy that God has in store for us. Other passages use that very imagination to paint a more vivid picture. Gates of pearl, a tree with healing leaves growing across a life-giving river, new heavenly bodies, a feast with no end. And the question of who's invited to this eternal banquet that doesn't get a clear answer in scripture either. Jesus says pretty explicitly in some places that salvation is for those who believe in him, or even more stringently, those who believe and are baptized. But in other places, Jesus gives a wide, expansive vision. I will draw all people to myself he promises us in the Gospel of John. And in other places of Scripture, the vision is even wider than that. It's not just every person that will be saved, it's 
the whole of creation. Animals and plants and molecules and distant galaxies all will be restored and held by God in the end. To quote the letter to the Ephesians, it is God's good pleasure set forth in Christ to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. That's Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 for those of you who might want to revisit that. Keep that vision in mind because we're going to talk about hell for just a minute here. The Bible does speculate about a bad place, not often, not consistently, but enough that I should mention it in a sermon like this. What the Bible speaks of, however, is not the demons and fire and underground lair that so many of us carry around in our heads. In the Old Testament, the writers believe in this place called Sheol. There's not like active torture and punishment there. There's just like a bunch of general unpleasantness. My seminary professor described it as a dank basement. And in the New Testament, Jesus uses a couple words for the bad place. Hades, which is the Greek equivalent of the dank basement, and Gehenna, which was a physical place, a foul garbage dump right outside Jerusalem. And he used this word to talk primarily about the torturous state we place ourselves in during this life when we try to live apart from God and our neighbor this is not the hell you have in your minds. If that kind of hell is biblical at all, its origin is in the famous lake of fire in the book of Revelation, a book that was never intended to be read as literally as the American consciousness has taken it. Okay, so that's the long and convoluted explanation of the short record of the Bible on what happens to us when we die. And I do apologize for lapsing into rambling professor mode here, but it's worth it because there's a lot out there in our psyches that just doesn't match what is in the Bible. And I know, I know that when people start to think about eternity, it can cause them deep anguish and terror especially if the topic is put to them as starkly as it appeared to me on that Pennsylvania billboard. But this doesn't need to be a topic of terror for us. Scripture may give a variety of hazy images about the afterlife, but our Lutheran faith always finds its center in God's grace through Jesus Christ, a grace that is always overflowing into all places and unrestrained by all forces. We look at Jesus and say with confidence that whatever else the Bible may say, whatever fears may live in our hearts, we have a sure and certain hope that wherever we go in life and in death, God will be there too, holding us in the same strong love that raised Jesus from the dead. And where God is, 
there is love, and there is life, and there is community, and there is joy. It's true, I do not know specifics about the afterlife, what it will feel like, what we will look like, if we'll look like anything at all. It's okay for us to not know that. But my faith is strong that the God that we glimpse in this life, the God of eternal love and forgiveness, that is the God who we will be with when we die. And if indeed there is a hell, I know this. Jesus Christ went there when he died. And when God raised him from the dead, he broke hell's power for everyone forever. Psalm 139, written hundreds of years before Jesus lived, understands God's power over the grave. Where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. When we or some other force in creation tries to remove us from God's purview, God simply will not allow it. We cannot, neither in life nor in death, make ourselves absent from God. God will find us, and God will lead us. Psalm 139 understands that what happens to us after death, it's really not up to us. It's up to God. The author understands that God, for some illogical reason, has decided to love this hurting, broken, sinful world and everything that has existence here, both in life and in death. And we don't have to understand why God would do this. The psalmist sure doesn't saying, How weighty are your thoughts to me, O God! They are more than the sand. We don't have to understand God, but we should understand what the psalmist grasps here. Not how much they know God, but how deeply they are known by God. And how that means there is no place they can go and no thing they can do to step outside the limit of God's love, for that limit simply does not exist. The author knows that in spite of all their defects and regrets and flaws, which are put on full display with that hate-filled rant near the end, God is not going to shake them off but will continue to search their soul until they walk in the ways of wisdom and life. This is what grace is then. Grace means that our salvation doesn't come from our fear-induced yes to a billboard in the rain, but from God's deep and unbreakable yes to us spoken at the very first moment of creation, 
and again from the cross of Jesus and from his empty tomb, and again while we were formed in the womb, and again as the waters of baptism touched our brows. And God's yes will be spoken again to us when we reach the horizon of this life and give up our spirit to God. And until then, our work is to say yes to Yes to trusting that God will do this. And then yes to joining God in loving the world in freedom and joy. And when you can't say this yes, when fear for your soul grips you, when thinking about death makes you worry and thoughts of eternity haunt you, God is still with you. God will not leave you. Know yourself as one who is known by God and rest in the promise that there is no place in life or in death where God's love will not hold you. Amen.